0: Before I begin the message, I'm going to start a little differently than I normally do by just reading a section of the Old Testament for you. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out. did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. I have to just begin with the obvious. Maybe you've seen this graphic we have up here that's flashed a couple times. Our new sermon series, Keep the Change. Anybody notice that right now keeping the change is a little more difficult? You go to the grocery store and what should be a cheap one meal becomes a very expensive meal. And for the price of a fine meal in a great restaurant, you're getting a bag of Cheetos and half-eaten loaf of bread and hoping it lasts you a week. We are in a time where we're noticing our money is going a little less far, and some of us are feeling the pinch, wondering, when will this end, or will I have enough? We live in a country that has a really weird relationship with money, and over the next couple weeks, I want to spell out and, and teach a little of what a healthy biblical view of money looks like. Now if you're here for the first time and you're all of a sudden going, oh no, I picked the wrong church, he's talking about money. Look, I think what the Bible says about money matters for all of us, and it's probably not what you've been told before. Just let's face it, how many of you have heard that money is evil? Wealth is bad. Having money is not good. Anybody heard something similar to that? Or what about this? Well, if only you pray harder, God will give you whatever you ask for. God wants to just shower you with blessings, so if you don't have the things you ask for, it must be because you haven't believed well enough or asked hard enough or done the right things. It's your fault that you don't have what you need. Has anybody heard something similar? See, this weird relationship with money in America is one in which we have two opposite competing narratives that I think are both false. On the one hand, we have a narrative that says money and wealth in all things are evil, so if you're part of the 1%, you're the problem. And on the other hand, we say that if only you live right and get it all put together, God will bless you with everything you need. So the measure of success is great wealth. I think neither of those are actually found in Scripture. Scripture. It's very possible, in fact, even probable, that you will do all the right things and honor God faithfully and fully and still be broke and wonder where you're going to get groceries next week. Because God's ultimate priority is not about the dollar signs in your bank account or the size of your house or the comfort of your life. It's also equally true that God is really good and capable at providing for his people. And sometimes the way he provides is through wealth finances, and resources that are at our disposal to use for his purpose. Part of what makes our approach to money in America really weird, I don't know if you guys know this, even right now when inflation is high and and money is tight and people are struggling, even now we are the wealthiest country in the world. Did you know that? And yet, most of us would probably acknowledge I'm not wealthy. In fact, some of us would say, I don't want to be wealthy because that's a problem. That's sinful. And, And so in this country, we have this weird polarization where the ultimate aim of living in America to be a good American citizen is to consume and to buy and to have all the things. Did you know that it's estimated the average person today by the time they die has seen over 3 million unique advertisements? Because we live in a country... That is constantly telling you, you will be more if you have more. At the same time, the average individual based on the American average amount of TV consumption every day, by the time they turn 18, have seen over 10,000 violent crimes on TV portrayed as being committed by somebody who's wealthy or owns a business. We portray wealthy business owners on TV as the number one actor leading the way in causing crime and violence and corruption. This weird paradox we live in of money is good, you should have a bunch of it, but if you have it, you must be evil. When we begin thinking about money in scripture, we need to begin with rethinking some of how we approach money. I read a book at one time by a Jewish rabbi that was all about historically why Jewish people prosper, why they typically have a lot of money. And this is not a racial thing, it's just real pragmatic. There's certain principles and practices they hold to that will, in effect, eventually lead to wealth, usually. And the first one he shared completely caught me off guard. It comes from Genesis chapter 2. If you're familiar with Genesis, God creates the world and all the world he creates is good. Every single thing over and over and over again is good. And there's this weird little line in Genesis chapter 2. Where God's describing the garden he's going to place Adam and Eve in. Even before he's made Adam and Eve, he's describing the location for them. And in the one little line it says that there was much gold in the land and the gold of the land was good. And this rabbi proposed that part of why Jewish people prosper is because from the very beginning they believe gold or wealth or money is actually a good thing given by God. In fact, if you read Genesis, you'll find that seven times God describes all his creation as good, and then the eighth time he describes it as good is the gold specifically. And in Jewish interpretation practices, they place a lot of value in numbers, and so in their custom, they say, well, if seven is perfect, what is more than perfect? Well, eight would be slightly more than perfect, and how do you get slightly more than perfect without God's help? And so part of the way in which that community has viewed scripture is that wealth and the pursuit of wealth is actually a godly pursuit in which through that wealth we draw closer to God. Now that's a very different way of thinking about money than I had been told. See, I had been taught that the Bible warns us money's really, really bad and we should be careful and maybe we should even get rid of all of it so we're not tempted. And next week, we're going to talk about some of the challenges of wealth and pursuing wealth because they do exist. There's great temptation there. But before we can understand the challenges, we need to see the benefit. See, imagine if every one of us were completely broke and had not a penny to our name. How would we eat today? Well, there's two options. Either... God would miraculously provide, like the manna he gave there in the desert. He's done it before. He can do it again. He multiplied the thousands, or to feed the thousands with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He, he can do miracles like that. Or, apart from his divine intervention and some miraculous provision, if not a one of us had a penny to our name and were completely broke, the way we would eat today is hopefully at the hands of somebody else who cares for us. Apart from those two things, with no money to any of our names, we would all, by the end of today, be hungry. And by tomorrow, even more so. See, one of the ways God throughout the Old Testament cares for his people is by providing for them the resources they need for what's ahead. In fact, in the story in Exodus, where they're coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, right before God rescues them, He has them go to their neighbors and ask to borrow a bunch of stuff. And they take all of this gold and jewelry and stuff from their neighbors, and then God has them leave town and run and flee from Egypt. And they're literally leaving with all the stuff they've plundered from their neighbors. And God's like, this is how I'm providing you the resources to build for me the tabernacle that you're going to build. This is how I'm providing for you as you enter into this land I've promised to you. Pretty neat. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, God provides for his people. If we want to understand a biblical view of money, we have to see that everything we have, be it our car, be it our house, be it our groceries, be it just the two pennies in our pocket, everything we have is from God a gift to care for us. Anybody ever given a Christmas gift or a birthday gift or some gift to somebody you really love? One of you? Wow! Yikes! Probably every one of us at some point or another has given a good gift to somebody else. Anybody ever give a really good gift and the person opens it and like, oh, that's not what I wanted? Were you excited to give that gift the second time? Not normally. See, when we treat wealth and money as inherently evil, that's actually in one sense saying, God, the gifts you've given are not good enough for me. They're not what I want. When we find ourselves consumed with I never have enough and and I don't think I will have enough and I need to chase it more, we end up making the gift more important than the giver. So whether we have two pennies to our name or no pennies to our name or a billion pennies to our name, which my son's probably going to do the math to tell you what that equals in in dollars, I don't know, however many you have, if you see every one of them as a gift from God, it frees you to think about that wealth differently. So now we're going to jump to the New Testament, another section of scripture I want to share with you today. This is found in Matthew chapter 6. If you'd like to follow along in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1012. They're in the pews in front of you or upstairs they're along the walls. You can take a moment, grab a Bible. Page 1012, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon in which he's talking about a whole bunch of ways to live in his kingdom and he says some pretty challenging things. For example, he He warns about lust. He says, look, if you're tempted, you should cut off your your right hand or your right eye. Like, flee from temptation in every way. He warns about anger, and he says, look, here's the deal. If you're even, like, angry with your brother, you've committed murder. Guilty. He says some pretty challenging things over and over again, and then he starts practically spelling out what are things we do to live in God's kingdom talks about giving to the needy, about praying, about fasting, and then comes this little bit beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, I just want to pause for a moment. Anytime you see a therefore, the best practice in reading the Bible is to go back and read what it's there for, all right? So what what comes right before this? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything. We live in the wealthiest country in the world. Anybody in here make less than a dollar a day? Less than a dollar a day, $365. That's my son raising his hand. Yes, he does make less than a dollar a day. But if any of you have toilets to clean, we give him a dollar for every toilet he cleans, so you can make a killing in this place, Elijah. All right. If you make less than a dollar a day, you are with 50% of the world's population. If you make more than a dollar a day, you're automatically in the upper 50% wealthiest people in the world. If you make more than what is the poverty line in America of $20,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the world. Every one of us probably is wealthy. And yet, we have an ever rising epidemic of anxiety and depression maybe you felt that before stress over all sorts of things stress about our jobs stress about the state of the economy stressed about the state of the world stressed about the upcoming elections stressed about your children stressed because of your children stressed and anxious and worried Despite the abundance of resources God has provided for us, we find ourselves more and more anxious. What if Jesus is speaking and he says, look, we can't serve God and money, therefore, don't be anxious about anything. There's a part of me that's like, come on, Jesus. Like, if you come to me like I'm really anxious, and I said, okay, I've got a simple solution. Stop it. Are you going to stop being anxious? But Jesus, he goes on, and this is what he says. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble see Jesus doesn't just say stop being anxious he gives us something instead to focus on look at the birds doesn't God take care of every single one of them Look at the grass and how well God makes it that it is so beautiful and lovely and marvelous even though all it does is grow and then die. Look at the world around you. If God can care for these things, how much more so can he care for you? If God cares about the little details that most of us will never notice, how much more so does he care for you? Jesus' solution to being anxious about what we eat or drink, about the money we have or we don't have, about the things we think we need or don't need. Change your perspective. See, wealth at its core is intended to be seen in Scripture as a gift from God. As a gift from God who cares for our every need. God shows repeatedly in this story time and time again that he provides for his people when they're most in need and least expecting it, especially when they're least deserving it. He's constantly giving them over and over and over again what they need. Not always how they want it and not always when they want it, but when they need it, he gives it. And all that he has provided... Whether it's our jobs or our houses or our families or the clothes on our back or the shoes on our feet, every single thing he's provided comes not so that we can trust in those things, but so we can trust in him even more. Separate from this sermon, I was reading a book earlier this week, just a general book about good practices with investing because it's been sitting on my shelf for years and I thought I should probably read the books on my shelf at some point. And in this book about investing that had nothing to do with the sermon was this little quote that I found absolutely remarkable, and I think it fits with today so well. In the book, in the context of the book, it was talking about historically looking at the stock market over time and not in the moment. But still, the quote is fitting. It said this, fear is forgetting history's faithfulness. In that context, who's saying, when we're afraid that today the economy is falling apart, remember, historically, it's bounced back, we'll be okay. But I read that and it, it stopped me, and I had to reread it a couple of times because I feel like that is also what Jesus is saying about these birds and this grass. When we are afraid that we don't have enough or when we're afraid God won't provide enough, when we're afraid that maybe the money we have is dangerous and bad and so we avoid it, when we're afraid of this gift God gives to us, we forget his faithfulness. The fact that time and time again, he does what we need. Oftentimes in my prayers and maybe in your prayers too, I'm guilty of this. I pray a long list of things I need, and then I say amen. But if you read prayers of the church historically for the last couple thousand years, in most cases, the prayers have very little to do with what you and I need. But instead, the prayers are simply remembering what God has done. God, remember how you provided for Noah and rescued him from the flood? And remember how you rescued Moses and the Hebrews from the Egyptians? Remember how you provided for them in the desert? Remember all that you did? Therefore, will you do the same for me today? Amen. I began with this Deuteronomy chapter because God is preparing them to enter into a marvelous blessing a land they didn't deserve, a land they didn't own, a land that was freely being given so that they could praise God. And he says, when you enter that land, remember the God who brought you here. And and verse 18 really, I think, just hit a chord. Verse 18 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. When you're going to work and your boss drives you nuts, remember that job was given by God so you can provide for your family's needs. And when there's a new job around the corner that maybe has a better boss and you are wondering, do I apply or not apply? Remember that opportunity is given by God to provide for your family's needs. And when you go to the grocery store, and you're wondering, how do you stretch your 12 dollars and32 cents to feed your family for the week? Remember, God will provide. He'll take care of your every need, because He has already. Jesus, he says to his disciples, "Look, don't be anxious. You have a father who loves you. He will care for you, and he will provide for you. And ultimately... What he did for Noah, what he did for Moses, what he did in the wilderness, what he did there in the land was all really, really good for you and me. But nothing quite like what Jesus went on to do. You want to know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you? God provided a sacrifice that we could be forgiven. God made a way that whether we have lots or whether we have nothing, whether we are all put together or a total mess, God provided everything we need to be made right with God, to be forgiven and freed and to live each and every day, not anxious for tomorrow, not worried about today, not stressing about all the things we cannot control, but remembering history, his story, his story of faithfulness, his story of love, his story of care. If we going forward are going to talk about money, we need to begin with knowing Money is like a brick. It's neither good nor bad, but what you do with it could be good and bad. With the same brick, you can build a hospital and you can smash a window. Money can do great things, but it will never be the thing that does great things. It's always through God who gives and provides and cares. So for those of us with lots, let's remember that it's from him. This power to gain comes not from ourselves, but from him. For those of us without, let's remember that he is faithful always. And as we go forward in the weeks to come and we talk more about what we do with our money, remember that it's neither good nor evil, but God is always good and always for you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you provided for your people in the wilderness. When they were hungry, you did not just give them money and say, go buy food. You made it rain food from heaven. When they were thirsty, water came out of a rock that they could drink. When they were surrounded on all sides by enemies... You made a way to deliver them. God, today in all of our struggles, in all of our hurts, in all of our pain, may we remember your faithfulness. When we find ourselves struggling to make ends meet, may we remember that you are enough and care for us more than the birds of the heaven and the grass of the field. God, when we find ourselves with abundance, may we remember that all of it comes from you, that this is a gift you've given that we may be provided for. May we seek opportunity to provide for those who don't have anything. God, we ask that you would see all the wealth and the opportunity for wealth that you have given to us to be a gift neither good nor bad, but a gift nonetheless. And may we give everything back to you. Lord, now we continue in our prayers and we pray for those who need healing, for those who are sick. We pray for Michael. Would you bring him healing from this cancer? And also from this infection he has as a result of chemo. God, we pray the same for Tanya, that you'd heal her of her cancer. We pray for Corby's mom and even his dad. As she goes through chemo, would you give her strength and comfort and peace? As he deals with COVID and can't be with his wife, would you heal him quickly, Lord? God, as more and more people are dealing with COVID today, we pray for those who are sick to recover quickly. We pray also for Charlie, who's not feeling well today. Bring her healing so that the joy she usually brings to her family would increase all the more. As school has started, we pray for all the teachers and administrators in our midst for Kelly, for Alex, for Roy, for Gabriella and Jessica, for Kelly and Lindsay, for Daniel and Ashley, for David and Joe, for Jennifer, Susanna, Christy, Amber, Abby, and Tyler. God, may all of these teachers and administrators. Go about their week with students, knowing that this job you've called them to is more than a job, but an opportunity to invest in the future of these children. May you fill them with peace and strength and joy. God, may we be a people in all things who seek to bring you glory and honor and to praise you for the gifts you've given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every week about this time we collect an offering in this place and we believe an offering is an opportunity to do three things. First, we believe that we give an offering because we trust God. He will provide for all our needs so we trust him by giving some back to him. We believe in this place also to give an offering helps us to not fear anything because at times we can be afraid of what we don't have. So we thank God with our offering, say thank you that you will always be enough. And we also believe in this place that giving an offering is because ultimately it all comes from him and it all belongs to him. So everything we have we offer back to him in some way or another. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up. Over the next couple of weeks, as we talk about finances, I'm going to invite those of you who are not currently giving or those of you who are currently giving but haven't ever thought about setting up an automatic reoccurring gift, I'm going to invite you over the next couple of weeks to prayerfully consider if this is your church family and we are your community, in what way can you partner with us in God and saying, I'm going to use everything He has given To help others. So if you came prepared to give today and you would like to give with cash or check, you can do so in the black boxes as you exit. If you filled out one of those teal cards with a way we can be praying for you or connect with you, you can place that in the bucket as well, or the boxes as well. If you're somebody who prefers to do everything digital today and you came prepared to give, you can give online at thepointknocks.com. However you give and whatever you give, know this, we don't give to get God's love because we already have it. Thank you. We definitely need some people who are willing to sign up for the later afternoon, the 4.30 to 9-ish Wing Fest time. So if you're like, I like wings and I don't mind late afternoon, son, we would love to have you join me. It'll be awesome. Now, every week we invite your questions and I do my best to respond. Uh, Adam, what came in this week?
1: Five questions, one comment. Okay. So the first comment is... Good morning, sunshiny faces. Adam, I was really touched that you remembered me watching from my hospital room. I love you, church family.
0: I'm guessing that's Michael. We love you too, Michael. If you've noticed, he's not sitting up front. He was diagnosed about four weeks ago with leukemia. It's really advanced, has all kinds of treatment. They sent him home after about a week and a half, and things got really, really bad, had to go back to the hospital. So keep Michael in your prayers.
1: Absolutely. First question, great question. 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Can you explain what Paul is writing here compared to Jesus' actions? Paul seems to be telling us to do the exact opposite of what Jesus did. You answered a question last week beginning with context. I think that's important here too, right?
0: yeah. There's always context to everything. My, my short answer here would be um, Jesus ate with sinners who were kicked out and removed from the religious community. Um, Paul is writing about the sinful within our community, not as if we will ever become holier than thou and better than everybody else, but within the church, it's important that we set ourselves apart, not because we're perfect, but because we submit our lives to Jesus. And so what he's writing about is those who believe that they can continue to do things that are wicked and evil and celebrate those wicked and evil things. He says that's not healthy in the church because it confuses people. It, It dilutes what sin is and says that we don't actually need God altogether. And so where Jesus spent time with sinners, they were sinners who had been told they weren't good enough to be with God. And he said, let me show you, I'm good enough for you to be with God. And where Paul warns, he says, look, Within the church, you should take sin really seriously. It needs to matter or else none of the forgiveness we offer matters either.
1: There's a lot of sin in the church at Corinth, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of sin here, but I, I think we're pretty okay with saying, hey, that's not right. Let's, let's help. Let's stop.
1: All right. Next question. It says random, but it's been on my mind. How did the different denominations of Christianity come to be? What are the main differences? Is there a recommended guide somewhere for someone to reference and learn what it what makes Lutheran different from Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, etc.?
0: Well, I feel like that's a staged question, but I know it's not. And the reason I feel like that is because uh, beginning in October, we're actually going to do a four week Discover Bible Study all about the Reformation and how we got to this place of having all these different denominations. So, uh, for the sake of time, I'll tell you, that answer's coming in just like five weeks. So, join me for that class. It'll be great. All right?
1: That wasn't a plant question. Either. I know it That's wasn't. pretty good. So, it just yeah. worked
0: out really well, because yeah. I had not had a chance to tell you about that class yet. So, You can
1: also have coffee or lunch with someone from a different church and learn about it. That's a cool way, too, right? Or
0: with so. me. I'll sit down and talk anytime, coffee or lunch, and tell you all the distinctions. There's some good ones and some minor ones, and they just take a long time to describe in this setting, so.
1: So you talked about anxiousness. It says, if someone is anxious or depressed, does this mean that they are distant from God? No. Okay. Good answer.
0: Uh, this hit me like a ton of bricks about a year ago. There's a verse that Paul, the same guy who regularly writes, don't be anxious about anything. Uh, there's one little verse that sneaks in, in the midst of a whole bunch of his trials in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He lists being in prison. He lists being tortured. He lists being hungry, all of these problems. And then at the end, he's like, and among other things, there's the constant daily pressure of all my anxiety for the churches." And I read that and it hit me like a ton of bricks because Paul, despite all of his sayings, hey, don't be anxious, still admits to feeling anxiety for things that matter. And so you can feel anxious and what you do about that, I would say is twofold. One, let's seek the Lord on why you're anxious and then maybe also seek a counselor or a doctor and somebody who can help you work through that anxiety and overcome it, all right? So no, you're not inherently sinful or away from God because you're anxious This world is broken, and it's easy to fear and be anxious.
1: No doubt. Another question about anxiousness, all right? It says, if we're not supposed to be anxious about anything, then people who are anxious by nature or have anxiety disorders, are they committing a sin by being anxious when we are told not to? Uh,
0: I think when it comes to sin, not all sins are committed, and they still exist. And what I mean by that is um, we live in a fallen and broken world where everything is corrupted by sin. And so we all live in a state of being unright, simply because this world is not yet right. And our hope in Jesus is that he has already declared us right with God even though we don't yet experience it. We talk about it as this now and not yet. Right now we are perfect, but not yet we still look kind of like a mess. And so our hope is that one day he's going to restore all things and there will no longer be a perpetual state of anxiety or depression or any number of other issues. So you're not inherently sinning because you're in that place. Um, I think that's a result of the sinfulness of this world and how you treat it and how you turn back to Jesus with it, I think is really important.
1: Final question. It says, and does God also take care of the birds of the air who fly into windows and die? That's,
0: that's free will, right? Like That's a broken sinful world, right? <laughs> like, that's just, it is. And, And yes, we even see God takes care of his people in the Old and the New Testament when things get really, really hard. This is where the idea that God always blesses those who are faithful is simply wrong, because sometimes those who are faithful end up really suffering and hurting. And yet, there's some really cool stories out there, if you want to read about it, of the very Jewish people that God loved and cared for in concentration camps under Nazi Germany— that we're actually, despite all of their struggles, gathering regularly for prayer and praise and saying, thank you, God, for all the ways you have blessed us, which to me is really hard to fathom. Imagine feeling blessed in a concentration camp. But if we look not to our moment and our present circumstance, but the faithfulness of God in all times, yes, he's faithful even to the birds who fly into windows. And someday he will restore this creation and they won't do that anymore.
1: Maybe leave your windows dirty. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, my phone's in my pocket, that's all the so questions. So that's all the
0: questions, excellent, excellent. Well, as always, you can text those questions in any time during the week, and I'll do my best to respond to them either midweek on social media or next Sunday, if possible. As you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com and if you'd like to be a part of supporting the Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.